Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another Thursday evening, reflecting into this great topic of apologetics. As I do every Thursday evening, I have Rob Sheridan joining me. So, Rob, it is great to have you with me another night. Good to be back as always. Tonight, Rob, we have the opportunity to reflect upon the importance of the papacy and the biblical foundation to the papacy. Uh, We are working through Dr. Scott Hahn's Reasons to Believe, and he has arrived at this subject matter. And as he puts it, very, very important subject matter. One of those topics, one of those topics that has been the point of many, many conversations. So uh, tonight will be a bit of a, a refresh button to a program I did on March 11th with John O'Hare, where we ref- we were reflecting upon Peter, and we spent about 15 minutes talking about Matthew 16, verses 13 to 21, and, and its backdrop, but we're going to talk about that tonight. But what we must first do, Rob, is talk about the first verse in the Gospel of Matthew, a verse that is very interesting when you start thinking about it critically. Why? Well, what is the first verse? Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. You know, when you think about the word gospel, you think about good news, transforming message. Uh, Well, it's a saving message. While to some it might be odd that the first verse is not, you know, repent and believe the good news, the Son of God has come to save you. We must always be mindful of the intention of the author, and in this case, Matthew, and who he is writing to, right? He is writing to a Palestinian Christian Jewish audience, an audience that is steeped in the Old Testament, an audience that by the age of 13 had the Old Testament memorized. That's a phenomenal truth to me. And so you have these very rich Old Testament passages that speak of uh, the, the coming of the Messiah. And there's one very important passage that the Palestinian Christian Jew would have been well aware of, and that's 2 Samuel 7, verses 11 to 17, where we have that great covenant between God and David. And he said, Through your line, I will establish a kingdom forever. Not for time, not for 300 years, for all eternity. And so there's this focus on the kingdom of David in the Old Testament. We see throughout the Psalms this mentioning of the covenant. We see throughout the other prophets this mentioning of the Davidic covenant. So when Matthew says, Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David, What he's doing is getting our attention as a reader. This is the one who will establish the kingdom of God for all eternity. And that kingdom will run like a Davidic kingdom. In fact, this is one of the great themes to the gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of God. 
which is the kingdom of David. Our Lord receives the title Son of David nine times. Not the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, but the Son of David nine times. Matthew is strategically employing this gospel so that we might be entrenched with this reality that Jesus Christ comes from the line of David. And he is here to fulfill that great covenant in 2 Samuel 7, verses 11 to 17. So this is all very important, Rob, as we begin to project out to what is going to happen. What is the other theme? Well, Peter himself. Peter is all throughout this gospel. We see a primacy to Peter in this gospel more than any other gospel. And it is clear what Matthew wants us to see that essentially there is a convergence of the two, the kingdom of David, the kingdom of God, and the figure of Peter. We, we get to Matthew 16, and he, he, starts, he starts in with this discourse, and, and this will, will kind of break open the kingdom uh, for us as, as we kind of start to understand what happens when a king leaves the kingdom. Mm-hmm. He puts someone else in charge. Mm-hmm. So from Matthew 16, 13. Now when Jesus came into the the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do men say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and other Jeremiah's or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him and begged him, began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not on the side of God, but of men. Thanks for reading us those verses, Rob. Before we get into what you just read for us, I wanted to make a point. You know, before you read those verses, Rob, I had said that uh, Peter was a point of emphasis for Matthew. Uh, Certainly, we call this the Petron Gospel. I want to draw this out a little more within a context, and that context is how Matthew develops the person of Peter how he draws us deeper into uh, the figure of Peter. And so, for example, in Matthew 14, just a few chapters before this all-important narrative that you just read for us, Rob, what is he doing? What is he doing? You know, we often say, well, only Jesus has walked on water, right? Now, that's actually not true. There was a moment in time There was a moment in history where another man walked on water. And who was that man? St. Peter. Yes, he fell. 
yes, we, we look at that event and we think, well, there was a man of, of little faith. But think of it. Another figure in history walked on water. And this is widely important for us, Rob, simply because we have a man aspiring towards the supernatural in his relationship with Jesus Christ. And did he fall? Yes, he fell. But nonetheless, he was aspiring towards the supernatural. Certainly, Matthew wants us to see this. He wants us to see this man who is this series of outrageous extremes from one end to the other. He's either confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord or he's sticking his foot in his mouth, right? (laughs) But that's okay because what he does for us is he reminds us of our humanity. And it highlights for us, Rob, an additional point. This is not uh, Peter's church. Uh, This would have been a church that failed a long time ago. But the church that belongs to Christ, it is both human and divine, right? Christ is constantly working within our brokenness, within our humanity. And so with that, let us go to uh, that all-important verse, I will build my church, not a church, not your church, but my church. And why can he say this? Why? Well, he's going to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is the protagonist of the church, who illuminates sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium. What does our Lord say? I will be with you always. And what do we read all throughout the Acts of the Apostles? But this protagonist illuminating the truths of Jesus Christ, guiding and instructing the church. He says to Peter, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. What he is saying to Peter is, you are the prime minister. I am entrusting authority to you to be the first chieftain of the church. We must remember Just as the cells change in the body, but it keeps the same personality, so it is with the church. Christ is the personality in the church, despite the change of personnel. We did not buy a lawn chair on the Titanic. This is not a boat that is sinking. It will always be floating because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Boy, yeah, when we bring it back to the body of Christ, when we, when we remember all these fundamental theological things, yeah, we're, we're going to have changes. Your skin sheds every, every couple days. Your, your hair grows, it falls out, it regrows. There are going to be changes you are going to stay the same. We're going to have changes in visible leadership, mm-hmm. but the interior heart, the mind, those stay the same. They don't change because those are the things that come from God. Mm-hmm. And if, if we are the body of Christ, we, we are a visible body. Jesus' body wasn't invisible. It wasn't spirit. We are, we are the body of Christ. We are a visible thing and a body that has a head. Mm-hmm. Who is that head? Yeah. Well, Matthew's trying to show us that that head is the, is, is the disciple Peter. Mm-hmm. He's the head of the disciples. He speaks for them. 
he is the one the Holy Spirit has chosen to speak through. It wasn't Andrew. It wasn't John the Beloved. It wasn't James. It was Peter, Mm -hmm. the rock. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. I can't help but think that to those first uh, few popes and even to our most recent popes, how different they were. You know, out from St. Peter, who do you have? Who were the the bishops of Rome? You had Linus, you had Anacletus, and uh, of course, St. Clement of Rome, uh, who we were just talking about the other day. You know, men who are very different, very different. And this shouldn't be so distant from us, this truth, because just look at our most recent popes, Pope Francis, you know, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, uh, St. John Paul II, uh, Pope Paul VI. Um, you think about this, and these are very different men, very different men in their charism and who they were, their background, their personalities, yet it is Christ who is steering the ship of the church, and that's what's so important in this verse. And it's so easily overlooked. But uh, our Lord's sovereignty is so great and so providential that we can take a look back into the history of the church and say, yeah, God God follows through on his promises when he says, lo, I will be with you always. And so he is in the church. That when we think about the church it always helps me, Rob, to think of it when in the context of the sacrament. And theologically, this is what you know theologians will do. They'll look at the church as a sacrament, a, a window into another reality. And this is how the church operates. And certainly the Pope, again, is to constantly bring the people of God back to that reality. Uh, now, what does the word church mean? It's important here to note that you know, the, the ecclesia uh, is really a translation of the Old Testament kehal. You know, the kehal in the Hebrew is the assembly of believers. So what Christ is saying is, I will build a, a new kehal, a new assembly of believers. And you start to break that word down. You know, the, the Greek ekalin, the, the compound there is to call out from. Well, you think about that word, church, to call out from. You have a number of different things happening there. First, you have to have someone who is calling, and that is Jesus Christ. You have to be being called from something, uh, out from something, and that's sin, and then towards something, essentially, and that's discipleship. So the church rests in the mission of Jesus Christ, who calls us to abandon sin and essentially exist for discipleship and evangelization. A very important point when you start thinking about church critically, because it really, I think, Rob, illuminates uh, the deeper truths regarding the role of the church in the world and what he has commissioned the church to do. Even the word commission, you know, cum missio, to be sent with what? Something? No, someone, Jesus Christ. Uh, How about this language, Rob, of Barjona? Uh, a name that simply translates as what? Son of Jonah. Yeah, a new Jonah. A new Jonah, literally. Uh, what What was the role of Jonah? He restored the hopes of the lost people. He played this kind of uh, a chieftain role, you know, restoring those who had lost their way. Uh, how about the name Simon uh, receives? But Peter, in the Aramaic, it means sizable rock or a sizable stone. And it's a word that actually has us going back to the Old Testament. 
um, where the temples of the Old Testament were built on this sizable rock or great stone. If you're to go to 1 Kings 5, 17, Ezra 3, 10, you have uh, these words being used that speak to these sizable stones, these cornerstones. And certainly this, uh, this is what Peter is for the church. Uh, well, Peter is, uh, was my confirmation saint. I love, I love St. Peter. And it's, it's because he is this, this rock, this, this stone. And he, he's got a mission. Jesus has given him a mission with this new name, Kaifa. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I love hearing that name. You watch the passion in, in the Aramaic and, mm-hmm. and you hear, you hear his name, Kaifa, Kaifa. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he's given this mission to be the rock. And I, I love how it plays out because we see him succeed in the mission and we see him fail in the mission. We see he's human just like mm-hmm. us. But gosh, mm-hmm. when it comes to that pertinent question, who do you say that I am? He doesn't fail. He's right on the money. We can trust in that. You can trust in the rock. Remember the, the commercials, you know, uh, get, <laughs> get a piece of the rock, you know, the prudential. They had the, the, the big rock. It's something stable. It's something sturdy. And gosh, isn't that what Peter becomes as we follow him on his journey? And, and isn't there something, too, to the actual location, right, from which our, our Lord would have entrusted uh, Peter with the keys to the church? Many hold that um, in this region of Caesarea Philippi, uh, there are many sizable rocks. Well, there's one very large rock and it would have been of God in the way in which he has fun with, with history for our Lord to be right in front of that very sizable rock telling this uh, man, Simon, that he is now sizable rock. I mean, this is what his name means. So quite interesting. If you go into the Greek with some of these verses, uh, Rob, it's really striking uh, with the binding and, and loosening. There's a very rare... Greek construction. It's a Greek that is a future periphrastic tense. Well, what is what is that? You know, periphrastic tense. It employs an understanding of a completed heavenly action while denoting a present future continual action coming to earth to heaven as a result of earthly mediation. Whew, that is rich, Rob. By the way, when is the other time that you see that? that language binding and loosening. How about John chapter 20, verses 21 to 23, when he's instituting the sacrament of confession? All right, so uh, this is the stuff that uh, uh, Matthew wants to uh, communicate. Now, earlier, Rob, I talked about um, gaining traction uh, and, and really getting a deep understanding of, of, of the mind of Matthew it'd be very important for us to understand these verses in light of the Old Testament backdrop, specifically to Isaiah 22. Uh, So maybe you can read those verses now. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Come, go to this steward, to Shebna, who is over the household, and say to him, What have you to do here, and whom have you here, that you have hewn here a tomb for yourself? You who hew a tomb on the height and carve a habitation for yourself in the rock, behold, the Lord will hurl you away violently, O you strong man. 
He will seize firm hold on you and whirl you round and round and throw you like a ball into a wide land. There you shall die, and there shall be your splendid chariots, your shame, you shame of your master's house. I will thrust you from your office, and you will be cast down from your station. In that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe, and will bind your belt on him, and will commit your authority to his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. Let us take a step back here for our listening audience to appreciate what's going on here. It was not atypical to ancient kingdoms. For any time you had an election, uh, there would be a ceremony, or any time you had someone who was coming into office, uh, there would be a gathering. And, and this is what you have going on here in Isaiah 22. Uh, so what happened in the kingdom of David when it was time to install a new prime minister? Well, the king would call his new prime minister forth. And by the way, the mother was always present. They would come out to the balcony and the kingdom would have convened. They would have gathered. And it would have been very symbolic for the king, and in this case, King Hilkiah, to uh, pull keys, okay? We got keys here, to pull keys out and for him to raise the keys for all of the kingdom to see and then take those keys and insert them, Rob, into the pocket of the new prime minister. And the kind of dynamic you had there was maybe the relationship between a president and the secretary of state. Okay, you have this entrusting of authority. You have this handing over. And so what the kingdom was then made to see, Eliakim now has been entrusted with the authority to govern all of the day-to-day affairs in the kingdom of David. And certainly this authority uh, is, is in the language of the shutting and opening. And is this not familiar, Rob? Why are we spending time reading these verses? Because in Matthew 16, you have a king, and his name is Jesus Christ. And in Peter, you have what we would call a prime minister. There's binding and loosening to communicate what we just talked about, this authority, this mediation, and certainly the keys as the symbol and sign of this authority. You know, what's interesting uh, about this, Rob, is that this was just understood. This was just understood uh, for, for what it was. And you can well imagine in the mind of, in the mind of Matthew, he, he's wanting to drive this home. So he's, he's using very specific language to grab hold of the audience, to get their attention. And so that they might come to understand that Jesus Christ came to ransom us from our sin, certainly, but he also came to establish a kingdom. And as we read from Isaiah 22, and as we can begin to appreciate what's going on in Matthew 16, every kingdom needs a father. What was the phrase? You will be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, where there's a new father, Robin, there's a new Jerusalem. So just as King Hilkiah in the kingdom of David 
hands the keys to Eliakim to govern God's kingdom, so does Christ the King in the kingdom of God hand the keys to Peter to govern his kingdom here on earth in the Catholic Church. Let us remember that the Davidic kingdom operates as a royal cabinet with the king giving the authority to the prime minister to handle the day-to-day affairs and admit people into the royal presence. Very important. Oh, by the way, Rob, Matthew, Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David, don't think there's not a connection to be made between Abraham and Peter. Genesis 14, 19, Abraham is blessed by God. And in the Gospel of Matthew, clearly he's blessed by God. Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 8, speaks to how they both respond with heroic faith. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, Abraham is, uh, receives this rare divine mission. Genesis 17, 5, we have a name change, Abram to Abraham. Isaiah 51, 2, take note, Abraham is called what? Rock. And in Genesis 22, verse 17, Abraham is assured victory where? But at the gate. They would have known this, Rob. They would have seen this for what it is, that Peter indeed is to be the new father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I'm, I'm reminded of, of that bit in Return of the King where mm. we have the steward of Gondor yeah, who's been exactly. <laughs> who's been who's been placed in 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 charge of of this kingdom while the the true king is away yeah. he's been given all the power and all the authority of the king and his job is to await the return of the king Aragorn now this particular one went a little crazy and jumped off a cliff on fire <laughs> yeah. um one of the more spectacular scenes but he didn't have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. That's right, Rob, and it is fitting that we kind of wrap up uh, with a, a look at that. I mean, it was the Holy Spirit who inspired Peter to oversee the replacement of Judas Iscariot with another longtime disciple, Matthias. It was the Holy Spirit who came down upon the apostles at Pentecost that inspired Peter to deliver that great inaugural sermon of church history to the throngs in Jerusalem in their chapter 2, verses 14 to 36. It was the Holy Spirit who inspired Peter to perform the first recorded healing in church history in Acts 3, verses 1 to 10. It was the Holy Spirit who inspired Peter time after time, Rob, when it came to exercising his office of chieftain of the apostles and the apostolic church. Amen, Rob. Amen to the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, Rob, I was hoping to have the opportunity to look at some of the typical questions that come our way as they relate to um, some of the perceptions in regards to the, to the papacy. Uh, we will not have time to do that at this point, but we will reserve uh, a week, a whole night to respond to those questions and really other questions that I've received personally. We'll just roll out uh, a series of very specific questions that have uh, come up in my conversations. And we will do this specific to the questions themselves. I think we've answered a great number of questions organically just in our general presentations of apologetics but yes we will set aside a night to do that let us close in prayer in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen all glory be to the father and to the son and to the holy spirit as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end amen 
and God bless you. You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at jholljmj at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.